Welcome back to Money Clip. This is episode nine. Your host, Raymond Brown and David Evans. How's it going, David? Hey, what's up, Ray? Glad to be doing another episode, man. Pushing that dollar forward. Absolutely, man. It's Friday. We made it. Yes, sir. Um, market, <laughs> market's closed. So let's just do a yeah. quick little, you know, recap about some of the things we experienced and, you know, what, you know, that today's episode is going to be like our current investments and when not to invest. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I think those are two. Well, the first one, current investments, I think it just kind of provides some transparency to our listeners. That's what we're actually kind of practicing what we preach, uh, you know. And then the second one, what not to invest is a question I think is not asked often enough. You know, I think uh, we kind of go through and just assume that, you know, if we have money, we should be investing or not investing. You know, but there, there are definitely times where you don't want to be involved. And in, I can say, speak from experience in public markets. I mean, I'm sure you you probably have similar experiences on the private market. Uh, you know, if you would, David, uh, go ahead and, um, you know, talk to me or let's talk to the people about, you know, I guess your current positions in the public market and, you know, when you should not invest in the public market from okay. your experience. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So uh, first off, I'm, I'm probably a different uh, investor or trader than most people listening as, as an audience. Um, so I want to first put a disclaimer out there. None of this is a financial recommendation or to copy my portfolio. I'm not offering any financial advice on what to buy and what to sell as far as individual securities are concerned. But um, so me, I'm net short the market right now. So uh, I don't know how familiar our audience is with the options. But uh, when I'm in a position longer than just the day as a day trader, if I'm in it for you know a week or a month, whatever, it'll be on the options side of the house, either through calls or puts. Real quickly, a call, you buy a call in something and you expect the value of the underlying asset to rise. So if I had calls in Apple, let's say I would expect the Apple stock price to rise and then my options contracts will become more valuable and that's how I would make money. If I have a put in something, I'm expecting the underlying asset to fall. So if I was buying a put on Tesla, it'd be the equivalent of shorting Tesla. I would be expecting Tesla to go down and then my put contracts would gain value. So uh, that's just a quick overview. I'm sure me and Ray will do a, a complete podcast on options and, and the power of leverage sooner or later. But um, so my, my current investments, I'm only in four positions over this weekend. I'm in uh, IWM, which is the ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 stock index, which is uh, the U.S. stock index that tracks mid-cap companies in the U.S. Uh, and I'm in January 21, 132 puts. So I'm expecting IWM or the overall market to go down. Uh, so those increase in value. Okay, I'm in. Uh, those are currently flat, by the way. I entered, I entered that investment today. So I have, I think I'm up 50 cents, actually. I'm looking at my screen. I'm up 50 cents. Um, I am in a Kodak January 2021, $2.5 put. That's courtesy of Ray, actually. He put me on to this uh, back when they were trading at $35 a share. That's when I shorted them. And today, I'm going to type it in real quick to get you guys a live, live quote. Today, they closed at $14.88. Um, so I'm up just over $21 in that delta on that position. I really don't like talking about dollar amounts as far as profit and loss. I think it's much more effective to think in percentages and points for long-term investment and trading success. But for the sake of our audience, I'm up just over $1,200 on that short. And that was a net investment of 
$107. So that played out very nicely. Um, I'm also in SQQ, March 21, $5 calls. SQQ is the ETF that rises in value as the NASDAQ falls in value. So it is what's considered a bearish ETF. Um, I'm expecting the NASDAQ to pull back in the coming weeks. So I'm in those calls at a cost basis of $1.80 per contract. So that's $100 and $180 per contract on those. And my last open position is VXX January 21, $55 calls with a cost of $2.26 per contract. And that, that equates to $226. Okay. So those are my only uh, open positions as far as swing trading is concerned right now. And um, if you're listening to this and you listen to some of the other podcasts, you're probably like, well, where is your VOO or your SPY or things like that? It's because I, I use a market timing strategy to be in and out of the markets. And it's the hardest way to learn how to trade. That's why I don't actively push it on our podcast, right? Because as you know, people kind of will treat it like a get rich quick thing. And you're going to take a lot of lumps when you're learning how to do that. So it's just not something I push, but if you are interested in it, I'm sure me and Ray could talk more about it. And then just my final final investment right now, um, one day trade today. I will give you dollar amounts for this. Uh, I was long the NASDAQ futures, made 11.25 points, which equates to $190.50. So that's kind of my wrap up on my current investment slate from the stock market perspective, Ray. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, so you gave us a lot of information. So from my understanding from what you just mentioned is that you're not only uh, long in the market, but you're also short in the market. Uh, you like to do uh, the option to play where you can do a call or a put. And for the call means that you expect the company to go, to uh, increase in value. And then with the yes, puts, sir. you expect the uh, business or the company to uh, decrease in value, right? Excuse me. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. It's really quite simple. And I, I always advise everyone to keep their investing as simple as possible. I, I believe I could explain my strategy to a fifth grader. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's that simple. I don't do a whole lot of hedging or arbitrage or any of that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm doing all this to make money. I'm not doing this to sound smart or to look technical or to sell a course, right? I'm doing this to make money. Um, so, yeah, calls is going up, puts is going down. So, I'm actually net short the market just because the things I have calls in only increase in value when the market comes down. So from that perspective, even though they are calls, they'll increase in value because the underlying assets are things that short the market for me, right? So that's that's the only kind of caveat you have to watch out for. Make sure you know what you're buying a call in because just because you have a call and it goes up doesn't mean you necessarily make money or, you know, so you got to make sure you know what, what the underlying thing is tracking so you don't uh, buy something you're not really sure what it is that you've just bought. But yeah, that, that's the nail on the head, right? Okay, cool. Like, like you said, we're going to go into further detail uh, in later episodes explaining you know, the type of strategy and what uh, you can actually do in those type of positions. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I'll uh, inform the audience about you know, some of my current uh, investments in my portfolio for angel investing. You know, right now, I'm at least over 50, 50 companies. Oh, man. You know, Getting to yeah, it. Yeah, 50 companies. And, uh, and this has been over a span of maybe two to three years. So I'm doing okay. Um, so the goal is to, you know, get to at least 100, 100 companies um, before 2022, maybe the end of 2021. Um, and, you know, this is, that's just, this is my, just my perspective and how I see it. 
you know, like I said before in an earlier podcast, you know, you want to, this is the only time where diversification is going to work in your favor uh, because you want to yet understand that the risk in angel investing is very, very high. And most of these companies do fail. So what you want to do is you want to kind of put your money in multiple companies, these companies you believe in, not just any company, you know, you know, it took me a lot of time to find 50 companies within two to three years sense of, you know, possible faith understanding in. And I'll just walk you through uh, some of them, not all of them, because it could probably take, you know, three hours to really break down <laughs> what every single company does and where, where, where it is today. So I'll start with the, there's another, there's a company called Nightscope. Nightscope is a hardware, software, and even a software as a service type of robotics company. This company offers the assurance of security. So kind of like the R2, you know, if you watch like Star Wars, um, they have a robot um, which is able to, uh, let's say, do patrols around mall areas or facilities that are able to act as security guards um, or give you that deterrence. You know, we think about security, think about deterrence and uh, other aspects of security. So it offers security. Um, and a robotics technology uh, type of robotics um, machine that, you know, can get charged. And once it's charged, it comes back onto whatever the site is. And it pretty much patrols the area uh, just as if a security, call, a security uh, guard would. And, you know, I thought it was a good time to buy into this company because, you know, COVID-19, you know, um, I think that the more we start to move in the future, we'll start seeing the, the use of robotics um, and robots even more. You know, that's just from my technical background. Like I said, I'm, I work in consulting as a cybersecurity analyst. Um, so I kind of get this scope or get this feel of type of technology and, and its use case. So I definitely think that, you know, Nightscape is uh, going to be very useful in the future. Um, and this particular business or this particular company, they were able to raise over I think it was $24 million total, and they've already secured a ticker symbol um, with the exchange. And I'm not quite sure exactly how soon we're going to hit the public stock exchange. I'm still waiting on further information. You know, those things can change at any moment, you know, especially when you think about the companies like WeWork um, and uh, Airbnb, you know, some of the things they might have had issues um, prior to trying to go IPO. Uh, so that's one company. And then we have Immersed. Immersed is a software as a service, uh, VR um, type of technology, virtual reality. And this company is uh, very, very, all the members, and when I talk about the top three, mostly all the members on this team are technically, technically sound individuals. You know, the CEO like scored the highest you can score in the mathematics section of the SAT. Um, you know, it's a very reputable university, um, you know, very, very smart, intelligent guy. And uh, what really kind of sold me with the technology, but granted the revenue is not the way I would like it to be, but the valuation was reasonable. It was $10 million. Um, oh, let me say the valuation of the uh, Nightscope. So Nightscope was a little expensive, uh, more than I would like. I think it was close to around uh, like 800, um, few, few million, 100 millions of dollars in that particular round. Um, but I definitely, that's one of the companies I said, you know, I think it has the potential to do something and I'd rather get some money in than none. Um, 
so back to immersed immersed recently uh was in as, as in partnerships with facebook <clears throat> and if you're tracking facebook facebook is trying to stay relevant um, and they're looking for businesses that they can either acquire um, or be in partnership to kind of help their business move forward so they launched their technology on the oculus oculus is a hardware device that uh, allows you to experience virtual reality and immerse plans to create applications for other type of hardware devices that also support virtual reality so that was an easy a easy investment for me it was just uh just shy it was actually a thousand dollar investment for for that one um and then we have then we have rentberry rentberry i invested is it is a very early round they have a lot of uh, support and backing, you know, when I think about following the money, they have a lot of support in this, in this space. I, I was able to invest at a 7 million valuation with a 30% discount. I was able to get in on the early bird terms of that particular round. And I invested about $2,150 in this company. Uh, and there's a couple of things that I considered in this investment. Um, it, the first thing it brought me to was a very uh, more user-friendly, scalable version of like a, a Airbnb, if you will. Um, except this time, the, the founder in this business, you know, double major, you know, um, very technically sound individual, you know, um, even had a cryptocurrency that could be used on his platform. So basically with this platform, it is a uh, rental service platform that, you know, provides uh, flexible um, rent prices. And what I mean by flexible, so for example, let's say you have a place you want to rent and you have potential tenants. The tenants or the potential tenants, they can bid on how much they want to pay for the rent. And I thought that's ingenious because right now during COVID-19, it doesn't really seem like people are renting, really renting or using Airbnbs, but if they have opportunity to bid against a price they think is fair, and the owner of the property can agree on a price, then there you go. Now this reduces uh, the possibility of locations or homes not being rented out and the owner is losing on money. So I thought it was a great valuation. I thought the CEO was, was really good and they just recently closed a round and it was over. And the round that I invested in, they raised over $2 million in that particular round. Oh, wow. That, that that's a really interesting. I saw you uh, talking about that on uh, Twitter. That's a really interesting company, man. Fascinating business model. Yeah, you know, I really do. I really do uh, like it a lot. And you know, I already talked to you about the trust stamp. You know, in the previous episode. So those are just a few of my you know fifty fifty companies um, that I'm invested in right now, and they seem to be on track to. Uh, do very well uh, in the short term and possibly even the long term. And, you know, there are certain circumstances, you know, when I think that it's not probably not the best time to invest. Uh, and I think when it comes to angel investing, sometimes you there, I feel like there is waves. Um, and what I mean by waves, there's certain type of ideas or genres or uh, aspects of technology or businesses that seem to oversaturate the market. And that could be a problem because a lot of those businesses are gonna be losers and not that many are gonna be winners. So you kinda of want to spread out your investment pattern 
So I wouldn't say invest every single month. Uh, you know, maybe you scan the market two months at a time, three months at a time. And with that, you can kind of, you can, you can look at the companies that are available. But once you start seeing repetitive companies just dealing with real estate or dealing with cryptocurrency um, or dealing with, let's say, like your, your, uh, your Ubers or your Lyfts type of uh, similarities, mm-hmm. and maybe you should, you know, continue to build up that, um, that, uh, that cash on hand or um, that bank account. So when you do see a company you really, really like as being uh, innovative and they're doing things that are really going to help progress the future, you'll have the, enough, enough money to do so. And what's interesting is, even though we are in a pandemic, you know, a lot of venture capitalists aren't really investing as much, but in the crowdfunding arena, they've, they've invested more than ever before. Can you explain the difference and, real quick, Ray? Sorry to cut you off there. Could you explain just for the listeners sure. and myself the difference between crowdfunding and venture capitalism and how the two overlap and how they're different? Yeah, so basically there's like a, like a firm that has tons and tons of money, you know, in the millions. And they usually, you know, if you can Google it, you know, for example, like the Sequoia, when they invested, I think it was over $500 million or 500,000 or 500 million they invested in uh, Google um, back in the early, the early days of the uh, Silicon Valley internet, you know, bubble boom, whatever you want to call it uh, time. Now, venture capitalists are known for having lots of money, and sometimes businesses are uh, kind of afraid, not afraid, but they kind of question the, the idea of getting money from venture capitalists because venture capitalists, because they have so much money, they you know, can kind of almost dictate the terms in the sense of what they want their equity and, and uh, their securities to really entail for them. And a lot of times it might not be in the best interest of the CEO, which can kind of move him off the track he would like to go because venture capitalists want to want the returns as soon as possible. So all they think about is scale, 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 and quick, 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 as opposed to actually building a business that can be profitable uh, because they're looking for those, you know, 50x returns on $50 million or 100x return on, you know, $1 million or whatever you have it. Now with crowdfunding, you have people of the community and you also have accredited investors that uh, tend to invest in these early stage companies on the crowdfunding platform. And a lot of times you'll see the terms and there'll be, you know, side by side offering. Basically what that means is if you're a credit investor, there's certain terms in which you invest in. If you're a non-credit investor, there are certain terms you invest in. And that basically allows for, credited and non-accredited investors to invest in the same round with this, for the same company. And, uh, and, that's, and that's huge, you know, in a sense that it allows the business to be able to receive money uh, or, or investments from both <clears throat> two types of uh, investors. So crowdfunding, like I said before, has been very, very huge. You can look at the numbers and the data. Uh, it's been proven, you know, during this time, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of people aren't investing as much in the public market, but they are, instead of investing in the public market, they're thinking it's more safe to invest in the long-term projection of a business, which would be um, very, very long-term, you know, 10, 10 years or seven, seven to 10 years. 
investments, which would be an angel or early stage company investment. Okay. Okay. So that, that clears it up for me, man. I, that was something I was always confused about the differences between a crowdfunding or venture capitalism and, and how they fund companies differently. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, uh, you can get very down into the details as to, you know, what the terms might meet for each, each individual investor, um, you know, and, you know, it's sometimes what happen is when it comes to the credit investors, uh, it might seem as if uh, the potential business or the business they're investing in um, really wants to keep them and, and keep them in a loop more frequently. I don't, I, it might be because, you know, they have a lot, a large net worth. And sometimes with the crowdfunding, uh, the investors that are non-accredited investors are really just putting in the minimum, which would be $100, you know. Um, but, you know, all money is the same, you know, so I wouldn't get too wrapped up in that. Um, but those are just some of the things you can consider, you know. Um, I, I don't really think there's necessarily think anything else, you know, to not invest. The only way I would say is not invest if you're not completely comfortable with the business, uh, if they're, they're, the numbers don't match, if there's, there's like a lot of shadiness. The previous CEO, the co-founder had five or six businesses and they all failed um, or, you know, their business, uh, you, you're not able to get in contact with the CEO. You can't really find any data on the business. Um, then that should be a time where you should, you know, reevaluate the business and see where it is that, you know, you really want to put your money in before you just invest in a company, you know, just because you think you're, you, it's a good deal, even though you haven't do, you haven't done your due diligence. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that's very similar to what, what happens in the public markets, to be honest. When there's times not to invest, the only difference is in the public markets, every day is kind of screaming at you to buy something. Right? Every day there's some allegedly some great opportunity out there that you're missing out on. It creates that uh, fear of missing out. Uh, the more you invest, you'll hear that term FOMO a lot. And that's usually when markets get into euphoric states and you're near actually a market top is when people are chasing it. Like, oh, it's going higher. I don't want to miss it. I got to buy it. I got to buy it. I got to buy it. And the advice I always tell people, allow markets to come to you. Uh, you're going to lose a lot more money than you make when you chase markets. And then on top of that, you're going to make just enough to continue to chase them. So what I mean by that, let's say you chase a market 10 times. Four of those 10 times, it's going to work. Six of the 10 times, it's going to not. But since you get such a euphoric kind of high, when you do catch a market and it runs higher, you're going to forget about the six times that it doesn't work out for you. So it's just kind of like a self-defeating prophecy where maybe you never, you know, blow up an account or lose all your money, but you never actually make any real money from investing. So that's, that's one of the things I definitely tell people to look out for. It's just patience as an investor is your best weapon. And I think, uh, Ray, you kind of hit on that too. Like it's okay to just, if you see all of the, the private sector, you see all the companies are kind of the same and the, and the industry is kind of overcrowded, just kind of wait. And, and, and allow things to kind of taper off and then you can get those great but i remember a couple um episodes ago you had talked about bitcoin you were like it was just it was just a wave you know like everybody was doing uh icos and things like that and i remember just cracking up because i remember how popular bitcoin had got when people were like uh do you remember when it ran up to like twenty thousand? and people were like this thing's going to a million you know and that turned out to be yeah, the exact you- top yeah it's it's crazy you know and i feel bad for several reasons with when it comes to bitcoin because you know my brother at the time you know before yeah you know passed away 
he told me um, Bitcoin's going to be Bitcoin's going to be huge, and it was like two fifty a coin. I just got back from basic training, and I was just like, man, you know, I don't really have money. I don't really, you know, basic training money. I yeah. have that much money, so I was like, oh man, I really want to get into it, you know. But you know, now I'm back doing this type of work, and I you know I'm just trying to make sure I can pay the rent for us, you know, and things like that, you know. And later on. It, the price just went nuts, and then uh, at that particular time, when it was when it was around 17k, I was working. I was doing like like, like doing like federal security, and one of the employees from from the building I was working at, he came down to me. He said, he was like, "Hey Ray, uh, I know you do investing. You know, he was like, what do you think about Bitcoin?" I said, "It's going to crash." He was like, "You think so?" I was like, "Yeah, probably in a week." <laughs> and then, and then a week later, kid you not, it's probably like maybe five days short of a week. He came back. He said, "You were right. How'd you know?" I said, "Nothing can, nothing can keep with that trajectory for no. that long. It's impossible." impossible. Yeah, the, the momentum was unsustainable. But and that's what I mean by that euphoric state. Like people stop using logic. You know what I mean? Like they stop realizing that this thing is up sixty thousand percent or whatever it was. They were just like, "It's going to go up another sixty thousand percent." And no one ever stopped to ask, "Well, what does it even do?" Like you would just hear, "Well, blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto and a ledger and all this kind of stuff." But no one ever really saw the tangible result of it. And I think a, a great analogy for that is uh, the greater fool's theory. So when the inherent value of something that you own or want to sell is only valuable because someone, a greater fool than you, is willing to pay more for it. And that's kind of, that's kind of what, what kind of got into Bitcoin towards the end of that massive rally. I mean, I know it's still not cheap now, but I mean, it was just, it was just absurd. So that's just a little, little side note before I get into the... Uh, the three things you kind of want to look at from the stock market perspective when you don't want to really be involved in public markets or stock markets at all. Uh, the first one is completely on you, and that is uh, when, when you're unprepared. Okay, so buying a stock because a person is telling you that it's going to go up or telling you that it's going to go down so you should short it um, is, is an example of what I see a lot from a lot of people that are using Robinhood and, and TD Ameritrade and E-Trade. There, there's too many tips going on. You have to do your own homework. That's when I listed my, my current investments. I said, this is not advice. Don't follow me, you know, because you, you need to understand what your risk template is, what, what the type of sectors you like investing in, and, and the time frame you like investing in. You know, because if, if we don't have the same time frame, it still wouldn't matter if you copied my trades, because if you're holding it for a month and I'm holding it for two hours, it doesn't help you much. So taking advice from others when it comes to actual tips what to buy and what to sell is the quickest one of the quickest ways to uh kind of blow your account up or just never make any progress as an investor because you never believe in yourself okay uh the second one when you have not fully accepted the risk of investing i struggled with this for a couple of years early on as a trader most people do i think people invest money with the expectation that it's just going to be exciting and then they're going to make some money Losses are very real when you're investing, okay? But it is also the only means where you can either jump tax brackets or create the type of life that you want for yourself, right? It all comes from investment. That's any kind of investment, private, public, real estate, selling shoes, opening a business. Anytime you're investing in something with the end state being that your dollar is going to appreciate in value, that's the, the premise of an investment. So, and one thing that I've definitely noticed, there is a lack of risk acceptance. People just expect prices to always go higher. 
and markets, both private and public, go up, but they also go down. Companies lose value, companies gain value. And only one side of that is ever talked about. And that's usually because people always feel like they have to be in the market. So if you bought like if you bought the VU yesterday and it was down today, you'd be like, oh, that David got on that podcast doesn't know what he's talking about. But why is your time horizon for investing one day? Why did you expect to go from not investing to investing and be successful in 24 hours? That's illogical behavior. You wouldn't go to med school and expect to be a doctor in a day. You wouldn't go to law school and expect to be a lawyer in a day. So and treat, treat your investing the same way. Take full accountability of the risk that is involved in investing. And ironically, that will actually set you free to be the best version of an investor for yourself. Okay. And then the last one that I, that I like to always kind of beat on the head with myself and then with people that ask me about, you know, the stock market, and, hey, what should I buy? What should I sell? And whenever you want to make quick money or get rich quick, run. You're doing something wrong. I don't even know what the something is, but if you're looking for a home run, usually you're just going to strike out. So investing is a skill that is developed, like, like learning how to play a sport, learning how to play an instrument. It requires long-term commitment for long-term success. So you have to commit to it the same way you would commit to graduating college or uh, being great at your chosen career field or bettering yourself in some other way, whether it be through an exercise routine or a diet or a positive habit like meditating every day or something like that. So uh, investing is the exact same way the, the what you put, what you will get out, what you put into it. And I think there's a lot of terrible stuff. Me and Ray talk about this a lot offline. There's a lot of bad things out there that are telling you invest this $500 and you'll make $50,000 in a month. Invest this $5,000 and I'll make you a millionaire. And all of that, if it sounds too good to be true in the markets, it probably is. Because if someone actually does have a system that could turn $500 to $50,000, why would they only be charging you $39.99 to do it? It's probably because they make all their money selling you the system. So take accountability and don't chase the shortcuts. Don't trust the gurus. Don't buy a bunch of courses. Don't overload on you know YouTube videos and all that stuff. Do your homework, you know what I mean? And I think that's what me and Ray are really trying to do with this podcast, you know what I mean? I don't want to talk for him, but just educating the, the public or what very little knowledge we have about, you know, the process of actually investing responsibly, but also receiving some very nice returns. And both of us have talked about some of our returns in public and private markets. But yeah, Ray, those are, those are three things that I think can always be at the forefront of your mind. If, you, if you're feeling any of those, if you're unprepared, we haven't accepted risk, or you're just trying to make a quick buck. Those are all signs that you should not be involved in public markets. Right. You know, David, thank you for that, because I completely agree. And a lot of these things, you know, directly correlate with the private sector. To give you an example, if you follow WeWork and saw how their valuations after round after round just got pumped up. And when it came to IPO, their value just decreased in the billions massively, like billions and billions of dollars of uh, potential or, or current valuation was decreased, you know, so you can imagine the investors I got in at the later rounds and, you know, pretty much got wiped out and their, their investment just turned to zero. And the people that kind of only made out in that were the people who invested in early on, you know, and that's a lot of times you have to really think about your strategy when you think about, you know, when I, and that's another one I, when I put emphasis on, you know, being prepared, you know, because before I invest, I'm prepared for the potential outcome, whether it be an early stage or whether it be a series A or a series B, because all those have, you know, their pros and their cons. 
you know, and uh, I think in a nutshell, that's pretty much everything that's really relative to, you know, our current investments, you know, the, th the do's and the don'ts, you know, when it comes to thinking about when you want to make your investment. And uh, like I said, me and David are really, really excited about this podcast and we appreciate everyone coming in, you know, every day and listening to our podcast, whether you're on your way to work or before you go to bed or even your lunch break. And uh, if, you, if you have any questions, any questions at all, feel free to email, you know, moneycliffpodcast at gmail.com, uh, you know, or Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And, you know, if you're interested in trying to figure out how day training work, uh, David Evans has a great YouTube channel. You know, he's putting out content every single day in addition uh, to uh, us coming together and making this podcast. So I would definitely suggest, you know, continue to educate yourself. Don't rush the process and learn as much as you can. Absolutely, man. Couldn't have said it better myself, right? Absolutely. All right, everyone, take care. Thank you for joining my Yes, Clip. sir.